Good afternoon. It's lovely to have you on Friday's panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here. I'm with Alan Blackman and Cindy Michener. Uh, before we get to our uh, first topic, I just wanted to bring around because uh, Alan and Cindy are both big football fans. I see Germany is out of the World Cup, uh, knocked out in the frenzied final minute drama uh, as uh, Japan defeated Spain to top Group E, eliminating Germany in the process, uh, despite uh, Die Mannschaft coming from behind to beat Costa Rica for two. Mm-hmm. Cindy Michener, uh what news is that? A hey, Germany of all, they'll be they'll be national mourning basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, football or is it soccer? You know, let's not have that. Have you seen that ad with David Beckham? Football, soccer, it's fabulous. Um, but I think, you Big know, news. go the Japanese. Yeah. They're, they're not the brave blossoms. That it's was been the a, rugby, wasn't it? But they're fabulous. It's been a cup of upsets, hasn't it, yeah. so far, Alan? Yeah, no, most definitely. And Germany's my team, too, so I was a bit Is gutted. It? Yeah, yeah. Explain. I, always, oh, I don't know. I think probably the earliest World Cup I can remember is 1974, and they won it. They beat the Netherlands 2-1. So what happened? Then, so... Oh, good question. Well, I mean, they, you know, went and lost to Japan. That's what happened. And then Japan beat Spain as well. This is, And I think they said this is the first time Japan's ever played Spain. So in a sort of a competitive match. So um, it's all it's all over the show, all, all to play for. And um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very, very interesting. Um you know, well, of course, there's the whole, you know, human rights thing that, that sort of, yeah. you know, backs all this up. And is is the Japanese um, football team a little like the, you know, Japanese rugby team? Is it is it made up of, you know, Good question. top You'd players from around, around the world that are, you know, got Japanese citizenship? Or no, is it, no. Are they all no, Japanese? No. I'm, pr- I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure they're all Japanese, but they're all playing foreign leagues, I think. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. they'll all be playing in Europe. So there you go, yeah. Germany. Yeah. Gosh, out of the World uh, Cup, yes. Crikey. Ten past four. Now, Twitter has failed to respond to a question from New Zealand's cyber security agency as the platform loosens its rules under new owner Elon Musk. In the past 24 hours, it's emerged that a New Zealand white nationalist group has Rejoin Twitter. And earlier in the week, Twitter had formally abandoned efforts to closely monitor its COVID and vaccine misinformation policy. NetSafe tried to get in touch with Twitter's Asia-Pacific team for the rationale, but by all accounts, they've not had a response. Regulators worldwide are following this and expressing concerns. Elon Musk wants to give Twitter a town hall feel. Associate Professor Marcus uh, Luchak-Rush from the University of Victoria with us is with us, Dr. R- uh, Luchak-Rush, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Thanks for having me again. You wrote about this show, and it was so interesting. We thought we'd get you back on this. How concerning do you think is this development, this New Zealand white nationalist group, back on Twitter? Well, look, the, the last, I think, a uh, couple of weeks since Musk took over are pretty fast-moving. Um, it started with layoff, layoffs of t- critical tech workers, content moderators, and the algorithmic transparency team. And um, what was very clear quickly early this week was that individuals and groups that were banned for very good reasons um, came back and started sharing content like they did before in response to that amnesty that he gave to um, banned accounts. And uh, without naming anyone, but the people who are back on there are very well-known individuals and groups that people can learn about in the Fire and Fury documentary, for example. It's how would you describe this? Is this concerning? 
Well, it's pretty reckless from yeah. Twitter, is what I would um, say, because right. um, what we really know from, from behavioral science research is that people are drawn to polarized and extreme political content, right? So um, we, we even know that misinformation propagates faster than facts. And um, that also happens amongst people who are quite moderate with no bad intentions. So what Twitter accepts is that they bring people back onto the platform who are known for such content. And the interplay of algorithms and the human dynamics now will make that content highly visible and it will normalize a rhetoric that may not always be illegal, right? Just be clear about that. These, these groups are very, very smart about how they use content, but they will normalize a rhetoric that aims at recruitment and radicalization. I guess also just adding on to that, Marcus, you, you, you're starting to see people now on social media and including Twitter, Kanye West is back, for example, really being emboldened in their extremist views. You know, Kanye West's frankly vile anti-Jewish sentiments on a podcast, not even worth mentioning what he said. I mean, some of this is very frightening, and one could imagine it could spill over into other forums, into real life. Yeah, that, that's an interesting dynamic that, that you're alluding there about, and, and we had a conversation about that amongst academics just this morning, um, that there is an interesting dynamic of fame on social media that actually amplifies um, these traits, right? So it, it may not be that these people actually have those traits, but the popularity almost becomes like a, a rewarding system where people are then conditioned towards behave in those ways because it, it, it gives them the reward of attention and uh, and fame. So And, and that um, can spill over specifically when these people are role models for younger generations, for example, and then create themes that become an undertone in society that is then really, really hard to, to, to control and moderate. Mark, um, with these big staff cuts, etc., uh, does that mean that, you know, and, and Eon's, you know, stated free speech views, does that mean that there is going to be, like, no moderation at all? At the moment, it pretty much looks like that. Um, I think the um, uh, signals that we hear is there's, there's a lot of praise for sort of algorithmic moderation. They sort of rely on the algorithm. Now, that works to some extent, but not perfectly, of course. The algorithms have known biases. And also, it only works very well for English. We, we, we very often take a very English perspective to the Internet and the World Wide right. Web, but that's yes. not true, right? Because in other languages, we've seen that in the past, those algorithms don't work at all or the platforms simply don't care. Mm. And there is no moderation that has been historically been called. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Good point, yeah. Alan. Um, Marcus, sounds to me from your accent you might be a bit upset that Germany are out of the World Cup as well. But, um, <laughs> um, I mean, this, this whole thing to me just comes down to this idea of freedom of speech. And freedom of speech, I think, is an absolute. You either let anybody say anything they want or you don't. And... Um, you know, if Elon is serious about this whole freedom of speech thing, then it's just going to be a free-for-all, presumably. But you can't have that, can you? I mean, you, you just can't. Some, somebody's got to moderate somewhere along the line. But, you know, whoever pays the piper calls the tune. In this case, you know, he owns the thing, so he can right. basically do with it what he wants. Well, and, and if people don't like it, they can get off and start something else. What of that, Marcus? Well, I think you can have free speech in the public sphere, but um, the public sphere also has um, um, properties of fairness and, and equal opportunity to speak. And I think that's what we see fading as well. Yeah. So the very loud voices get amplified and mm. the very moderate ones get actually silenced. So um, you always have to put it into the context of the algorithmic amplification on the platform, which is not quite like the town square. So okay. that's really, really tricky. 
So this news here we're discussing this afternoon, uh, it's a merge that a New Zealand white nationalist group has rejoined with, uh, amongst other people uh, who, um, you know, have these uh, far-right extremist views, I guess. Um, but someone said, Murray asks, uh, Wallace, why can we not just ban Twitter in New Zealand until they adopt our social mores? And that was one thing I was going to ask you uh, um, is could we see something like this forum being banned for the good of overall society, or would that be a step uh, too far? I think it's 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 a fair possibility that um, may actually be in the head of the government at the moment, thinking about whether a ban um, becomes possible. I would probably not argue for it. Um, I think there's there's uh, some really really important essence in, in what the listener says is that you may want to create an alternative, okay? So and right. I think that, that should be on the plan B for the government, should be to think about, okay, what are the civic functions of social media and do we want to create that as civic platforms and do we want to run them? And um, I think that's what the government should focus on and creating the alternative and make people move rather than banning Twitter straight away and outright, and um, I, would, I would go that way. And if the government runs it, then you end up with Weibo. <laughs> Sorry, you <laughs> You, you end up with Weibo if the government runs it. Well, look, I don't think we're suggesting actually that the government run it. There'll be a lot of, I mean, there are alternatives to Twitter. And Twitter, uh, in terms of content, is particularly sort of political and news and, you know, less sort of social, etc. But, I mean, I, th- I think that the thing is it probably doesn't matter what... New Zealand does. I don't think we're a particularly burning platform for Mr. Musk, (laughs) you know, and the fact that they've not responded to us. I mean, are we surprised? Well, just on that, uh, Marcus, finally, I mean, a top EU official uh, has said that, look, beef up measures or risk facing big fines or even actually a ban, not an Aotearoa, but the 27-nation bloc that is the EU, that would be something like that, surely, Marcus, would be fairly significant. Yeah, and that will that will become a big pressure. So we we see legislation coming in place next year in the EU um, that will sort of um, uh, threaten Twitter with those fines, and I think that um, will probably change the dynamic over the course of the next um, nine to twelve months. So it's 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 good to keep an eye on that, and they have completely different um, um, uh, bidding power there with with the population of those of those nations, of course. It's very nice to have you on the program, Marcus Kiora. Uh, that is Associate Professor Marcus Luchek Rush from the University of uh, Victoria. It's 18 past four. Alan Blackman and Cindy Mitchell with me this Friday afternoon. Nothing gets people riled up as waiting on the phone. Witness this outburst from Chris Finlayson <laughs> yesterday on the panel. I was on the phone waiting for over 65 minutes, and when the person came on, I wasn't crabby or anything. I simply said, why was the option where someone phones you when your number comes up in the queue, why wasn't that available today? Oh, I don't think that system's been activated today. And so the the, the people are so unfair to uh, travellers, they don't seem to care that these people need help. It so happens Consumer NZ has been looking at just this, especially with government agencies, people getting hung up on, given the wrong numbers, having to wait more than 65 minutes. This follows on from their recent investigation into the call centre wait time at 21 New Zealand companies. So, who was the best 
Who was the worst? What else is Consumer NZ Head of Content, Caitlin? Chira, kia ora, Caitlin. Kia ora, Wallace. Well, we had a bit of response already on this yesterday, but let's come to this again today. How did you go about the research this time round? This is a bit of a snapshot one. So we, yeah. we called all of these uh, government departments during weekday hours between 9 and 5. Uh, this is actually number two of an investigation. So the first one we yeah. spoke to different um, private companies, banks, uh, airlines, telecommunications providers. So the results of that were quite varied and some companies, including in New Zealand and Two Degrees, didn't do particularly well. But we actually found it was a lot worse with government departments. So we called 16 of them. And um, one of the worst issues that we didn't expect was that in some cases we called the number that was provided. Then we're told, oh no, that's not the right number. You can't call that from a mobile number. So call this number. So you try this number and then you get hung up on and it can actually be quite a nightmare, agonising to try and actually speak to a human being to deal with an issue. Yeah, I found that very, very interesting, Caitlin. In fact, that was a take-home for me that the average wait time for taxpayer-funded agencies was about double the time when calling private businesses. But you've got here, for example, you know, work and income waiting for over 90 minutes. It's not too acceptable, is it? You may be home, as an example, looking after dependents at home. So it's not on, really. Yeah, or you may be actually working and having to call them during work hours. Uh, I mean, thank God for headsets and speakerphones. But the other (laughs) issue was that not everybody can deal with um, things via uh, chatbots or the email or online forms. Not everyone is a digital native, and some people just want to pick up the phone and be able to explain their complex issue or just speak to somebody about something. Sometimes it's quite personal, and you just need to ask, what do I do in this situation? So it is uh, – the worst was actually – I mean, working income was pretty bad, but we actually found the worst was in immigration New Zealand. I mean, overall, it actually took – several hours for a call to be answered because uh, we were told it was the wrong number because you have to call a special number uh, from a you can, you can only call some numbers from a landline and then we got um, basically hung up on and we had to start again uh, yeah it took <laughs> quite a long time for yeah, anybody Cindy. to answer the phone hi Caitlin it's Cindy do you yeah. did you not think there was a little bit of irony in the fact that um, the Human Rights Commission was the only place that you couldn't actually find out uh, or, or talk to a human. That just made me laugh. And I, the, the, the other thing I'd be interested in your view on is when they say, leave your name and number and we'll put you in the callback system, right. I, I just think, no way. I have been on this phone for 23 minutes already. I am not hanging up. I'm putting my mobile phone on speaker. I'm putting it on speaker. I'm getting on with my work, (laughs) carrying my phone around. You know, is it safe to um, put your, you give them your number and go on that callback system? Well, in my personal experience, I like it when they go, hey, we've got high caller volumes, but press one if you want us to call back at a specific time and then you get to nominate the time and then I've found that when that happens they do tend to call you back at that time. That should be done right at the beginning, mm, yeah. uh, much better. What I mean, you mentioned being surprised at, um, at uh, 
the Human Rights Commission, <laughs> I was personally most surprised about IRD. Yes. They yes, only took absolutely. two minutes to answer the phone. Do you remember the days when it took a million years? They've actually yeah. sorted a lot out, clearly. <laughs> they're taking our money. That's why. They, they're, yeah. they, oh, no, good on them. Good on them. Uh, Evocate IRD. Yeah. Now, Alan Beckman. Yeah, Caitlin. First time um, I've ever heard that. <laughs> <laughs> There's well, your I, promo. I was going to yeah. make that exact same point. I'm sorry that if if IRD can answer the phone within two minutes, then bloody everybody can. I mean, you know, that's that's just obvious. Um, the whole callback thing, I totally agree. It should come right at the start. They know how many people are in the queue right at the beginning. And, you know, if it's a ridiculous number, we'll call you back. Press one, blah bloody blah and well, do you trust it, though? Yes. Press one, is it going to happen? Well, well, it usually you... does. When they've does got it? their systems okay. in place, yeah, you put your number in uh, and they will call you back. Uh, it's different if they go, oh, leave your number in this voice message. That sort of is prone. I mean, I think there's a lot of room for error there, like someone typing and writing your number out wrong. Caitlin, uh, this... Caitlin, Caitlin what's, what's the upshot here? Is there, because this is, this needless to say, is something that every single person listening to this is exper- will, will experience, and it's one of the most infuriating things to go yep. through. Is there some type of, uh, I don't know, um, uh, operative duty of care on behalf of companies towards their customers to say, 20 minutes max, something like that? Well, I mean, government contact centres are are in demand and there are times when they are going to be really busy. I think the issue is about transparency and making sure that you don't have to put your entire life on hold just to deal with an issue. So there are various measures that they can take to ensure that people are getting the service that they should get. Uh, I think most people don't mind waiting in certain circumstances. Obviously, you know, if there's been a disaster and you can't get through to somebody, but it is unreasonable on a daily basis uh, to have to wait hours yeah, to deal with an issue that could be done with dealt with in five minutes. Caitlin here, for example, um, I, I, if someone's calling for a legal maximum hold, legal maximum hold time of 15 minutes. <laughs> it's just, Caitlin, does it make any difference if it's one of these international call centre based? I mean, are we saying that the, call, the, the time wait is only uh, with the government departments and therefore it's all a New Zealand-based call centre. The private businesses, some of them are using international call centres and that's why it's much quicker? We didn't dig that deep, but we did find that, uh, you know, there was a quite variation in the private companies and uh, I, I'm not entirely sure whether it's to do with whether they use external call centres or not, but sometimes that can be equally frustrating if the person actually has no authority to deal with the issue mm-hmm. once you do speak to somebody and then yep. you actually end up trapped in a second period of holding hell before <laughs> anything right. can be done. Mm. Very nice mm. to have you on, Caitlin. Kia ora. appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, that's uh, Consumer New Zealand Head of Content, uh, Caitlin uh, Cherry, uh, on that. A very interesting text there. Uh, love to hear your thoughts. Do you agree that there needs to be a legal maximum hold time? What an interesting concept that is. 26 past four. Can't wait to get to this. We've had some response. An article in the Washington Post, why you should almost always wash your clothes on cold. It can be harmful to the thread. Small balls of fuzz form on the surface, not to mention the power bill. But does a cold wash get your clothes clean? I am sceptical. So I thought I'd bring in the expert. A person who's been washing the same way for 50 years. Kath, welcome to the panel. Kia ora. How are you, Kath? 
Oh, very good. Yes. Okay. And I'm so, yes. Totally surprised that you don't use cold water for your, you know, when you're washing clothes. I, I, you know, like, okay, so you've been washing your clothes 50 years, cold or hot for you? Cold. Every time. Cold every time. But do they get them clean? Yes, certainly. Yes, definitely. It, um, uh, I must admit, I don't have somebody who's like works in a garage or anything like that and has got <laughs> greasy, greasy clothes. Yes. But for, for normal day-to-day living... Cold water every time. Okay, normal day-to-day living, Kath says, cold water every time. Stay there, Kath, around the panel on this. So um, I have sort of dirty outdoor riding clothes, and I could never get them clean in cold water. I mean, you know, you've got to soak them first and then spray on that stuff, and um, I've always used hot water. I mean, I understand the echo benefits of cold water. And Kath's been doing this for 50 years, the yeah. expert. <laughs> oh, but how, how dirty. Kath? Kath, Kath, I think you might have quite clean clothes. Kath? <laughs> no. Look, I'm, I'm a keen gardener and things like that, and my clothes can get very, very dirty out there. And, yeah, I, I'll use that spray stuff that you get to get stains out. Yeah. But, yeah, no, still Soak cold them water. for a week. Yeah. Well, no, well, no way. <laughs> it, uh... Well, Kath, it so happens that we have a former chemistry professor with us. <laughs> now he's going to no. Give us the rundown. Totally give us wrong. The, yeah, give us the rundown, Alan. Well, you know, chemical reactions happen more quickly in hot water than they do in cold. So. Um, but cleaner quicker. Yeah, cleaner quick. Yes, cleaner quicker. Absolutely. But are then? Are then? Yeah, but in in you know in terms of the actual cleanliness and everything, you're going to get the same reaction occurring regardless of the temperature. It's just in hot water, it's going to happen more quickly. So okay, I take your point about sort of soaking for a week, sort of thing. <laughs> but then you know, do you get the beetroot stains out in cold water? I mean, can you yes. do? <laughs> Oh, wow. So how long, what's the cycle that you use, Kath? Is this one of those eco-friendly, well, no, um, what, what's it called, allergy cycle, no. and it t- it's two hours? Oh, God, no. no. <laughs> Mine okay. is a normal Fisher & Paykel, good old Fisher & Paykel washing machine, um, and has always used, used cold, and also the power saving. I mean, I'm not using hot water. Yeah, uh, but just finally, Kath, someone also says, um, don't forget, Kath, sunlight soap. You scrub it. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good point. Perhaps it's one of those washboards, too. <laughs> Kath? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, no, I'm some... not that old to use the, <laughs> having to use a washboard. Hey, um, or some rocks. And a and rigger. And, uh, <laughs> okay, okay, Kath. Oh, I've yeah. used those. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know the ringer. I kind of miss the ringer, actually. Um, Kath, you've convinced me. I'm going to try cold. If you've been doing it for 50 years, there's no reason why our household can't try it as well. Kia ora. And you'll find the savings, too. Good on you. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. You're on the panel. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. Thanks, You're thanks on the panel. Much. RNZ National, Cindy Mitchell and Alan Blackman. Very soon, Power Ballad Friday. What will it be? Our listeners have spoken. Mm. It's time for headlines.